for you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 123. Okay? Not 23, 123. So go way on over there. Uh, let's um, go back to high school. And it's your senior year, and you just graduated, and you just got your senior yearbook, your annual. Okay? What do they write in it? Not much. <laughs> What's that, Shelby? Well, my story wrote, Hags, which meant have a great summer. H-A-G-S, Hags, have a great summer. Okay, yeah, you get that. What else? What did they write in your yearbook? Don't change. <laughs> Don't change. Stay the way you are. Yeah. How sweet you are. Yeah. Yeah, they tell you that. <laughs> Fun having you in class. Yeah, those kind of things. Uh, for a while, it was real popular to write, you've got a great PA. I'm like, what in the world is a PA? I'm thinking a PA system. And then somebody told me personality. Yeah, that. And occasionally you get those things that say, too bad it didn't work out, huh? You know? Those things. Did you ever have any spiritual people write in your annual? Or those who tried to be, at least. What did they say? Stay close to God. Yeah. Um, all that stuff, you know, you'll go far. Um, keep God number one. I, I got a few of those. Uh, that type of thing. Uh, did anybody ever tell you something like uh, this? And I don't mean in your annual. But when you're going through a trial, when you're going through something, they say, well, just keep your eyes on the Lord. You ever heard that? And sometimes it felt like that was what you would sign in an annual. It's just something that you say. Because when I look back in uh, the annuals and blow the dust off of them and, you know, that kind of thing and look back there. You know what? There's some of those that I go, I'm not really sure they meant that. But what do you write? You know, especially when somebody comes up to you. You ever had this happen? And it's somebody you don't really know or care that much about. And they go, will you sign my annual? And you feel sort of obligated. Well, what do you do? You write in there and you go... You've got a great personality. Stay the way you are. Have a great summer. You know, cliches. And I was thinking um, about the cliches that we use in the Christian life. And sometimes, you know, we don't know what to say, so we go to a cliche. Hey, that kind of rhymed. When you don't know what to say, go to a cliche. If you've got little grandchildren, that sounds like a Daniel Tiger thing too, doesn't it? And... Um, what are, what are some of the Christian cliches that we say? This too shall pass. Too shall pass. Yeah, that, that helps. Because you didn't know that. You didn't know that. No. What else? God's in control. That's true. That's true. But, you know, bless the gift and the giver. Yeah, yeah, we do that. Lead, guide, and direct. Prayers have a lot of cliches, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, God gives and he takes away. <laughs> Every once in a while, somebody will say something to me, and I, I just want to go back and go, oh, thank you, I did not know that. You know, 
Never, never heard that before. Whew. But you know how that kind of thing can happen. And um, we're probably all guilty of it because we just don't know always what to say. Even worse, I think, is not just when we default to something well-meaning. I think sometimes we're guilty of saying things that when somebody goes, what do you mean by that? We would, blah, 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 you know? Because, well, everybody knows what that means. Well, maybe they don't, and maybe you don't. Um, my father-in-law used to say, if you can't explain it, you don't understand it. Well, I know what I'm trying to say, and he'd go, no, you don't. Or you'd say it. Right? What? He used to hate it, yeah, when he would say that kind of stuff. Yeah, but it's true. And there are things that come out of our mouth that are about as thoughtful and helpful and meaningful as what's been packed away in your senior annual for a decade or more. Some of us more. I can remember when I first thought, I've been out of high school for 10 years, a decade, wow. Now we plural that, you know, right? And uh, some of those people that you thought, oh, you lived and died by what they thought of you, and now you care less. Or you see them on uh, Facebook, and you go, whoo, they look worse than I do. <laughs> praise God they look worse than I do, you know. Uh, praise God anybody looks worse than I do. But uh, I was reading this psalm, and this psalm has something in it that talks about looking to the Lord. How many times have we said, well, just keep your eyes on Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. How do I do that? And what do I mean when I'm talking about keep my eyes on the Lord? Never seen heaven. I've never seen the throne. I've never seen Jesus. At the, I haven't had Stephen's experience. Thank you very much. Right? Because in order for him to see the Lord, he had to be pelted with rocks. I'm not sure... I'll wait till I get to heaven and, and see all that. Can I get an amen on that? You know, um, What do we mean and what happens? Because it sounds kind of cliche. Just keep your eyes on the Lord. And uh, however, that is biblical, like some of the things we talked about. They are biblical. And uh, in fact, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So, looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus. We're running this race, and we're running with intensity, and we don't have any choice about running the race. We are in the race, we're put in the race, and so we run. And we don't have to be encouraged to get in the race. The Bible never tells us, get in the race, you're in it, you're in the race. The question is going to be whether you're going to be running with diligence and whether you're going to be running looking at Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So apparently you can run the race, but you can run it haphazardly and you, know, you don't really care, you don't really think that much about it. And you can also run the race looking around at everything and everyone else, looking at circumstances, looking at other people, and not really be looking at Jesus. So Hebrews reminds us, run with diligence, that's the key, and then do it by looking ahead to the finish line, looking to Jesus, who's the author and finisher of, of our faith. Well, this psalm 
kind of uh, refers to that. Obviously, it predates the book of Hebrews by several hundred years. And this psalm, Psalm 123, you'll notice again we find another one of these psalm of ascents, A-S-C-E-N-T-S. And remember, as we talked about before, the psalms that have that are the psalms that they would sing while they were heading to Jerusalem. They were going there for a feast, most likely, maybe Passover or something like that. And they're heading toward the temple, and they're ready to get there. They're tired, and they are um, probably bored. You know, you talk about walking as long as they would walk. And uh, they're ready to get there. They're ready to celebrate. They're ready to worship. They're ready to enjoy the reunion of family and friends from all over. You know, in those days, you uh, talk about somebody that lived 50 miles away. How often would you see them in a year? Not very often. What if they lived 100, 200 miles away? Uh, you probably wouldn't see them except when, they, when you gathered in Jerusalem. So there's some anticipation. And I like to think that the uh, pilgrims heading toward Jerusalem is kind of like us when we think about heaven. We think about being there with the Lord and we think about um, being free from all of the things of this life. But don't we also think about the reunion that we're going to have with people who have gone on before and we look forward to those kind of things well that's a lot of what they would look forward to every time they would go to one of these temple feasts and so this is a song for pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem and um, I'm going to read it out of I can't remember what translation I uh, picked it out of but I, I kind of like the wording of it a little bit but you, you'll get it it's not that much different uh, verse 1 it says I lift my eyes to you O God enthroned in heaven. Very picturesque, isn't it? Verse 2. We keep looking to the Lord our God, there it is, for His mercy. Just as servants keep their eyes on their master, as a slave girl watches her mistress for the slightest signal. Have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy. For we have uh, had our fill of contempt. Verse 4, we have had more than our fill of the scoffing of the proud and the contempt of the arrogant. Now, when he says we're looking to you, remember they're on their way to Jerusalem. They are ascending the hill. And uh, what are some things that the psalmist could have been looking at? I thought about that and thought about how many times we substitute looking at the Lord or looking to the Lord, uh, sometimes we substitute buildings and rituals and things of that nature. I think it would be really easy if you are on your way to Jerusalem to be looking and say, oh, oh, look at the walls that are around Jerusalem that Nehemiah built and be focused on that. Cool? Yeah. Yeah. No, no dispute on that. But uh, it's still just a wall. Maybe you would look and go, oh, there's the temple. Look at the glory, the beauty, and the splendor of the temple. It's so bright and it reflects the sun. I can't even look at it straight on. What a beautiful edifice. You could look at the temple. You could look at uh, a lot of different things while you were going there. But isn't it interesting that the psalmist writing this, he mentions that we are not looking at 
the buildings. We're not looking at the people. We're not looking at the rituals. But sometimes we substitute for that. Even sometimes when we come to church. I know we're, we're the temple, not this building. But sometimes we look at the building. And sometimes we look at people. Sometimes we look at the way things are done. And all of that. We look at the rituals and don't look at Jesus. And isn't it sad that you might come to church and not see Jesus? That's a... Uh, a pretty sad thing. Substitute people, buildings, rituals. And sometimes we look only when we think we have need to look. Um, you know, if I don't really feel the need to look to Jesus, maybe I don't. And then all of a sudden, tragedy hits. Boy, do I get religious in a hurry. You know, we all do. Um, no atheist in a foxhole is what the old saying is. And the same thing is true. There's no complacent Christian in an ICU waiting room, you know. There's uh, no complacent Christian when there's a tornado headed towards your house. There's no complacent Christian, um, you know, when you get that phone call at three in the morning that you dread. All of a sudden, we get very focused upon the Lord. But the sad thing is we have to have something to make us all of a sudden go, oh, oh, i got to cry out to the Lord, you know, when that ought to be the way we are uh, of course, all the time. And I think we know that, of course, but uh, doing it's a different matter. Um, other substitutes, too, would be something like this. We look away because we don't want to obey. If I'm looking to the Lord and keeping my eyes on Him, He might want something out of me that I don't want to give. He might want me to do something I don't want to do, go somewhere I don't want to go, talk to someone I don't really want to talk to, give up something I don't want to give up. I mean, if I keep my eyes on the Lord, there's going to be some communication. There are going to be some things that I notice. There are going to be some things that stir my spirit. There are going to be some things that uh, are going to happen. And so it's easier, kind of like when you are in a crowd and uh, let's say you're in a crowded gym at a basketball game and then you happen to notice that there's somebody over there from your work and you don't really want to talk to them right now and so while even while you're watching the uh the teams go back and forth you turn you know all the way this way but this way you just kind of turn and just kind of watch and then hope it comes back because you don't want to catch their eye because if you catch their eye you know what's going to happen right Kind of like sometimes at Thanksgiving with all of your creepy relatives, you know, don't talk to Uncle Joe, you know, and that kind of thing. Well, I wonder if some believers are like that with the Lord. It's more comfortable to look at our surroundings. It's more comfortable to look at our circumstances. It's more comfortable to look at other people. But to look him in the eye, he, he might want to talk about something. He might want to change something. And I don't really feel like I'm in the mood to obey right now. So, you know, I'll look at something else. Of course, I do that to my peril. And then sometimes when we are under attack by the enemy, have you ever noticed how quick, how quick we talk about demons before we talk about Jesus? How quick we talk about how tricky the enemy is until we talk about how sovereign our God is. How quick we are, how quick we are to recognize what the enemy is doing and yet we're not looking to Jesus in the same way with the same intensity. I know some people that what they claim to know anyway about demons is so detailed and I wonder sometimes if they know that much about the Lord, if they know that much about good, if they know that much about the positive, if they know that much about their armor, if they know that much about what holy angels do, you know? 
Um, uh, the, the Bible doesn't tell us just a whole lot about the activities of either one. But isn't it interesting? Nobody is really all that interested in what the holy angels do. But boy, what the demons do. Boy, that gets our attention in a hurry. And I think all of these things have one goal. And that is to keep us from looking where we really ought to look. And that's to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now, we also have to understand that because of our fallen nature, it's not really all that natural for us to look to Jesus. I, I wish it were, and in my new nature, I'm sure it is, but so many times I have the nature of Adam and Eve, and what was their thing, to run to Jesus when they messed up, or was it to hide? And it was to cover and hide, cover and hide. I was afraid, so I hid. As if God doesn't know where you are. You can't really hide from God. Ask Jonah how that works. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting how we do that. And it's still kind of in our nature. I'll do it myself. I'll fix this. I'll work things out. And we don't really look to the Lord until it's kind of our last uh, resort. And um, I wonder um, how he feels about that when he has done so much for us and loves us with an everlasting love. And you know, an unchangeable God doesn't change in his love for you. And so he loves you the same at your worst or at your best. It, it doesn't change because he doesn't change. And a God who is there as your ever-present help in time of need is the God that we are to call upon because he's always willing to help us and willing to bless us. So those are some substitutes, and it's kind of sad that we don't um, really look to the Lord. But um, going down now and uh, thinking about these verses and going through Psalm 123, I want you to notice that looking to the Lord means to look beyond what you see. And that's a real problem. That's a real problem for me. It's a real problem for you because I tend to focus upon what I can see. But notice the psalmist is coming into Jerusalem. I've already made reference to this. Seeing those walls, seeing the houses, seeing the businesses, seeing the temple, seeing all of that. Oh, this ancient, wonderful city, we're coming into that. But he doesn't. What he tells us is, I lift my eyes to you, O God. And, and the one that is enthroned, not in Jerusalem, but the one who is enthroned in heaven. In fact, he's probably looking past an earthly king. Someone might say, hey, look, there's the king. There he goes. There's his entourage. This psalmist is saying, everything that is here is beautiful and as wonderful and as useful as it might be. It pales in comparison to looking above all of that to the unseen. And that is the Lord who is enthroned in heaven. And I think sometimes if we are honest... The things that we see capture our attention and our hearts and our feelings and our emotions. And they stir us a whole lot more than the unseen hand of God. I mean, let's be honest. It's hard to see the invisible. It's hard to think about that. In fact, physically it's impossible or it wouldn't be invisible, right? But we, with the eyes of faith, are looking beyond politics, impeachment hearings... We're looking beyond the economy. We're looking beyond hypocrisies of other people. Boy, it seems like every week there's some Christian leader that has fallen into sin or you find out that they didn't fall into it. They've been wallowing in it maybe for a year or two and now they're exposed. And here it comes, right? 
And it's so easy to get your eyes on all of that kind of stuff. And we see what the Russians are doing, what the Chinese are doing. We see what Al-Qaeda is doing. We see what the enemy is doing as we see their works of destruction. And we see all of the hurt and all of the heartache. And I'm not suggesting that we ignore all of that. I'm just saying this. If you want your spiritual health to be right... You've got to look beyond all of that with the eyes of faith into the throne room of heaven and see a sovereign God whose plan is right on track, whose power has not changed, whose love for you is not diminished, and a God who is not panicked, upset, or in an uproar or a stew about anything that is going on because an all-knowing God already knows it and he's already made provision for it. He's already provided a way of escape. He's already put a limit on the bad stuff. And he's going to get us where he has promised to take us. Are you looking to the Lord? When you wake up in the morning, do you look to the Lord? When you're in trials, do you look to the Lord? When everything's great, do you look to the Lord? In other words, are you looking to the Lord? Because you've got to look beyond what you see. I uh, think it's kind of sad that there are some people who maybe they can't see Jesus because they're too busy looking at me in a negative way. And they see my failures, which are many, and they see the inadequacies, which are many, and all of that. And that distracts them from looking to a perfect God who has no failure and who has no inadequacies. And the one who is working all things according to the good pleasure of His will the one who is working all things together for our good because we love him and we're the called according to his purpose. The God who is doing a work of restoration when we don't think any restoration is going on. A God who is saving people and he's working in their hearts even now when we can't even tell that anything's happening and yet God is quickening and giving faith and drawing someone to the cross of Calvary and we don't even know what's going on all we can see is the negative the physical and all of that kind of stuff so a challenge look to the Lord like the psalmist did and looking past what you can see what you can sense and what you can uh, discern here so uh, this guy is really looking for something great because he sees the Lord secondly look with consistency Verse 2, we keep looking, we keep looking, we keep looking to the Lord our God for His mercy. You know, um, if all we do is take an occasional look to the Lord, you're going to miss a lot. There's a lot happening and a lot that God is doing and a lot that God has for you. And if all you do is come to the Lord maybe once a week, then you're just going to get kind of a once a week blessing, aren't you? If you come to the Lord and all you do is look to Him, maybe, maybe you're one of the better Christians and you give Him about 15 minutes of your, uh, the first of your day, which is a good thing. I encourage that. But if that's really all you do, then you're going to get about 15 minutes worth of blessing and you, know, you hope that carries you through. It's um, you know, kind of like if you were to go to the grocery store and it's Thanksgiving and you've got to feed 50 people but you don't get a shopping cart. All you can take out of there is what you can hold in your hands. How much are you going to get out of that? And it's not going to be much. It'll still be expensive, but it won't be much. And the Lord, it's like we go to Him and we say, Fill my cup, Lord, and then we hold up a thimble. You know, and then we wonder why we're not overflowing. Well, the thimble is maybe overflowing, but it's just not that much. 
How much better to come with him, fill my cup, Lord, we might say. Well, that's a whole lot better than a thimble. And maybe we could have even something bigger, whatever vessel we might bring to the Lord. And we might look to him, and we look to him constantly, not just uh, occasionally. It's just a consistent thing. Um, When is the best time to have a quiet time? When is the best time to have a prayer time? When is the best time to meet with God? Well, some people say early morning. Well, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, and the Bible does speak of that. Jesus would do that. But is that the only time that Jesus would talk to his Father? Was it kind of a one and done? Okay, Lord, thank you. We'll see you later. I'll come back to, you know, in the morning. Uh, Jesus was in constant fellowship with his Father. In the psalmist, David said, at morning, at noon, and at night, that he would seek the Lord's face. You know what the idea of morning, noon, and night is? All day, all day, all day I've got my eyes on Jesus. It's not just a little short thing. It's an all-day thing. My eyes are on the Lord. And my quiet time in the morning should help me get my eyes on the Lord and to focus on the Lord and to see what the Lord is doing. It's not that I do it and then take my eyes off of the Lord. This is something that the psalmist said, I keep looking. I keep looking to the Lord for his mercy. Keep looking, not just occasional, and it's not just situational, because some people, the only time they think the Lord is really necessary is if there's a tragedy or an emergency or something. Well, the Lord is wonderful to have in tragedies and in emergencies and in times of heartache, but that's not the only time you need him, and the problem is we don't really recognize just how much we need him. We think we're doing okay, and the truth is we're really not doing as well as we think, and we don't understand how much we need the Lord. So are you looking to the Lord with consistency? Okay. Thirdly, look with a heart of obedience. Now, we are given a couple of examples here, and we're given an example of uh, a servant, a slave. Okay? And the slave is looking to his master. Now, the term that uh, says in most translations, like a slave or a servant looks to his master, uh, looking to someone in a Hebrew sense meant that you depended upon them. The master took care of the slave. At least if he was a smart master, he did. Because a weak, sick, hurting slave is not very productive. So it would be in the master's best interest, make sure the slave gets sleep, make sure that he gets a break, make sure that he eats well, nutritious food, and um, make sure that he's at his best, okay, looks to the slave. Well, you know, when we look to the Lord as slaves of God, we should be looking to him for everything that we need. And so many times our frustrations and our anxieties, they get ramped up because we think it's up to us. We think that we have to do this. And we would never say that, and we certainly don't sing any songs. You know, we don't come to church and sing, it's all up to me, oh Lord. You know, we don't do that because we know better than that. But when we leave here, we go out there and act as though everything depends upon us. And we have to make everything happen and make sure that certain things don't happen. And uh, we start taking on responsibility that really is the responsibility of our master. 
He provides for us. He's the one that gives us rest. He's the one that gives us what we need. He's the one that renews us. All of those kind of things. So when you read that about like a slave looks to his master, that means that total dependence upon the master and trust in that master. That's what uh, we need to have. But maybe it also means something else. Here you are as a servant and you're in the great banquet hall. And you are a servant of the king. And the king is having a state dinner. And oh, the pomp and the circumstance. The way everybody is dressed. The music. The food is just beyond uh, anything you could imagine. And oh, all of the guests are coming in. And they're so polite and respectful. And there's a lot of pageantry there. And you're standing over here on the side. And your master is right up there. And what do you do if you were a good servant? You may glance around the room and make sure everything's okay. You make sure the other servants are in place, but you don't do that very long. You keep your eye up there on the master. And when the master says something like this, what do you do? You approach. Why? Because you're watching. When the master points, maybe points over there, and you look over there and you see somebody, uh, and, and maybe the waiters and waitresses are not doing their job and the glass is empty, what do you do? You go over there and you take care of the situation. Uh, whatever it is that the master wants, you are watching the master so that you can be obedient at the moment that you get any kind of signal from the master. Do you look to the Lord like that? Where's my opportunity to obey? Where's my opportunity to witness? Where's my opportunity to encourage? Where's my opportunity to be an extension of the Lord's hands and His grace and His mercy in someone else's life? And you know what? I miss a lot of those. You know why? Just wasn't looking. I was so intent on what I was doing, what I wanted what I thought or what other people were doing or maybe what was happening, you know, uh, in all of the other substitutes, right? That I missed the cue. I missed the cue. Now, I'm so glad that God is sovereign enough that he doesn't uh, make your salvation or someone else's salvation dependent upon me. He can work around me in a heartbeat. But I wonder how many times when I get to heaven that I'll see I could have been a part of God's sovereign eternal plan to bring a sinner into the household of God I could have been a part of that but I missed it you know why because I was looking at something other than the master I wonder how many times I'm going to find out that I could have been a better and bigger help an encouragement to somebody who was really struggling but I wasn't looking at the master I wasn't looking at the master I was too busy looking at some other stuff and uh, those kind of things happen. It's kind of like a wide receiver who takes his eye off of the ball and he's thinking more about how he's going to run to uh, score. And then he realizes, I didn't even catch the ball. Should have kept my eye on the ball. And I wonder how many times there are things that come our way, opportunities for power, opportunities for uh, the dynamite of God to do some great and wonderful things that we could have had uh, our part to play in it except, well... We're looking somewhere else at the time. We didn't keep our eye on the Lord. There's another example there that is uh, mentioned. Servants keep their eye on their master. That's a, a kind of a male thing there in the Hebrew. And as a slave girl watches her, her mistress for the slightest signal, for the slightest signal, what 
does she want? We're there kind of like a, what do you call those, a lady-in-waiting or something like that? And uh, what is it? What is it that she is going to want? What is it that she desires? And I want to be right there ready to take care of it because I don't want to be replaced. Um, one of the things that you uh, find out about being a slave is there are some slave positions. None of them are good uh, from a human standpoint, but there are some positions that are better than others, right? And I would rather, if I had to be a slave, I would rather be in the house, you know, doing something like that than I would be out in the field. You know, it's a no-brainer for me. I'd rather do that. And if I ever got that position to where I'm, uh, you know, kind of of a, of a servant to uh, the master or if I were a female to the mistress of the house, I would want to make sure I kept that. I wouldn't want to lose it. Now, it's good to be a slave of God. Let's just say that because his slavery is different than anyone else. We've sold out to him and he provides for us and he is good and he is kind and he takes care of us. But let's also get what the psalmist is saying. He says, like or as this slave would wait for her mistress to give a signal the slightest signal, you want to be there to meet it because you want to keep that position. What if we were like that with the Lord? What if we gave the Lord as much attention as we do our boss? What if we gave the Lord as much attention as we do someone who is in authority over us? What if we gave the Lord as much attention as we do the IRS? You know, we're a whole lot more dil diligent with the IRS than we are with the things of God. Because we just assume that, you know, because God is forgiving, it's no big deal, and he won't really care. Well, that's not what the psalmist thought. So we need to get more in line with that, because we've got to look to the Lord with a heart of obedience. And uh, for our provision, shelter, security, all of that, but any sign of instruction, any sign of instruction. But you know, something else struck me too. It might be that when I look to the master, I might... Notice he's frowning. I better change something. This is not making him happy. There was a certain look in, in, in the master's eyes that I don't like. I better change something, right? Or what about those times when you do something right and you can see the twinkle in the eye of approval and you say, I need to make a note to do this and do this again and do it soon. He likes that. I think when the Bible talks about looking unto Jesus, we ought to have the idea of looking to him for a glance of approval, a glance of encouragement. That's what I called you to do, son. That's what I called you to do, daughter. I put my stamp of approval on that. That's why Paul told Timothy, be diligent to show yourself approved unto God as a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed. There's an old story that I heard when I was a kid about a multimillionaire that came to this contractor and he said, look, I'm going to go ahead and give you a couple of million and uh, build me a house, make sure that it's nice and uh, whenever you get through, let me know and, uh, and I'll take ownership of the house. So the guy started working and working and he said, wow, this is something, I've got all the cash up front and you know what happened? After a while, they started saying, you know what, if I cut some corners here, this guy's never going to know, and I can keep the cash. So he started cutting corners and cutting corners and putting in, you know, faulty material and all of that. It looked good, looked good on the surface, but it wasn't good for the long run. 
And he pocketed the money. And when he got through, the millionaire said, Listen, I, I tell you why I did this and why I had you build it, because I knew it would be high quality and I knew it would be the best. And um, I wanted to do something for you. So here, this is your house now. And he gave him the keys. You know, that's the kind of thing where gulp, you know, that's a workman that needed to be ashamed. And Paul told Timothy, you need to be diligent in your Christian life so that when your life is evaluated, you're not like a workman who needs to be ashamed. You didn't cut any corners. The best for God. The best for the Lord. Diligence with the Lord. And so we look to him to make sure that he is pleased. We're always accepted, but we're not always approved. Always accepted, but Paul said be diligent to be approved by God. Can God put his approval on every area of your life? Not just your actions, but your heart, your thoughts, your motives, all of that. And that brings to the last point here. Um, look up when you naturally would look down. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy. Look, look what this guy's going through. For we have had our fill of contempt. We have had more than our fill of the scoffing of the proud and the contempt of the arrogant. Boy, we live in a world like that, don't we? But we don't wrestle against this world. The Bible says in Ephesians 6 that we wrestle against principalities and powers, the demons of hell. That way we can, if we understand that, then we can understand that the people around us and our circumstances, that's not really our problem. That's not our enemy. There is an unseen enemy, the fallen angels, that are working to intimidate, harass, trip us up, whatever they can do, whatever they can do. They can't steal our salvation, but they can steal our joy, can't they? And so we live in this world, and we look around and we see arrogant, contemptible, prideful people. I wonder where they get that. I wonder where they get that. Well, that comes from the enemy. And as we live and we work in this world, we can see uh, and, and, and why is it so much easier to see sin than it is to see righteousness? Why is it so much harder to see the work of the Holy Spirit as opposed to the work of the demons of hell? Man, we can see that all around us. You can read it in the newspaper. You can uh, watch it on the news. You can see it in other people. Man, we can see and sense and feel the presence of demons. But you know what's interesting? The psalmist writes this thing about looking to the Lord in the midst of all of this contempt and arrogance and pride. I mean, life was not always easy if you wanted to be a child of God and live like it. Not even in the days the psalmist wrote this. See what all he had to face? And yet, what does he choose to look at? Not the work of the enemy, but he wants to look up and he wants to see God. He wants to see blessings. You know, if you're not careful... You will think from reading people's Facebook posts that we are not living in the United States of America. We're living in the Soviet Union. You would think we were living in communist Cuba. You would think we were in a concentration camp. Is there a lot to be concerned about in America? You bet there is. But here's the problem. For some of us, all we see is the bad. And we don't look to the Lord. And we don't understand that God is bringing even our nation to its knees. 
It's up to God whether the nation stands or falls. The world will survive without America, and the kingdom of God will survive without America. Nations come and go, don't they? You say, oh, could this be the end? I have no idea. I have no idea. But you know what I decided to do? I'm going to quit looking so much at the news. I don't want to be ignorant, but I'm going to quit obsessing over it. You know why? Because all I see is negative. And it makes it seem like this is the worst place in the world to live. And it's not. We still have an awful lot of freedom. An awful lot of prosperity. And you know, for every bad servant in government, I wonder if there aren't like 10 really good ones. And that's why things function. You know, we've got a lot of problems and a lot of things where we see deterioration. But you need to travel to some other countries. And you need to see what a society is like without law and order. I mean, good night here. With all the wretched, depraved people there are, they still stop at red lights for the most part. Right? There's a lot of things they do wrong, but, you know, I haven't really worried a whole lot about it. I mean, I still watch. I still watch. And I'm still careful. I've known more than one person that got T-boned. So I watch and I'm careful and try to be aware of those kind of things. But I really don't give it near as much thought as I would. Uh, whew, you ought to drive in Mumbai, India. You know, man, it's terrible. It's terrible. You know, I, uh, when I go to bed at night, I turn off lights and I do lock my doors. But I still do not lay down in bed at night going, this is probably going to be the night that they get us. Probably the night that they're going to get us. I don't give that a second thought. I may one day, but I don't right now. You know why? I feel pretty safe. I feel pretty safe. And I sleep. And I, I sleep pretty good. Did you see all the police and fire trucks out here? Over there. Apparently a homeless person froze to death. Okay. So, uh, hey, you know what? Uh, my heater works. And it not only works, but I get all the natural gas I want. Pay for it, but I get all I want. What if we lived in a country where you could have everything working, but you just couldn't get the fuel? What if you lived in a country like Robert Taylor does and those nine Mormon people were massacred and he told me, he said, there's almost nothing that the cops can do. He said, the government is out of control and they've kind of given up. Hey, that could be us. And I look around and I go, as much as there is that I don't like and as much as there is that dishonors God and offends me, then you know what I try to do? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This country still sends out more missionaries than any nation on the face of the earth. Mm. This nation still has freedom of religion where we can gather like we can tonight. And I have the freedom when I'm preaching to say Donald Trump is an angel or Donald Trump is a demon from hell. And I can say either one that I want. And there's not a thing they can do about it. Think about all of the good that we experience. And where does that good come from? 
Well, some people might say it's from our veterans and from our military. There have been a lot of militaries that have been defeated and a lot of people that have given their life for their country and their country has fallen. Can you say Vietnam? The hand of God, as Francis Scott Key wrote, has made and preserved us a nation. And the only reason we stand is the goodness and the grace of God. And we have clothes on our back, food to eat, fuel to put into our cars, cars to drive, roads to drive the cars on. All of these kind of things are because of the good hand of God. So I want to challenge you when you get up in the morning, the news is going to scream negativity at you. And I'm going to ask you to do something. Am I going to say, now you be positive. No, I don't believe in positive thinking and all of that. You know what I'm going to ask you to do? Look to the Lord. And when you look to the, sword, look to the Lord, you're going to see love and goodness and grace and mercy. And you know what you're going to do if you ever see that? You'll rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And you may glance and see what the enemy is doing, but it won't get your gaze because he's far too beautiful and far too wonderful and his goodness is much greater than you could even imagine. And even when you mess up, his grace is greater than your sin. Somebody say amen to that. Abundant grace. So that's what the psalmist says. That's what we need to do. And we need to look and see how the Lord has blessed us and not get distracted by all those other things. So, as we do this, as we think about these things, I lift my eyes to you, O God, enthroned in heaven. Let's do that. We keep looking to the Lord for his mercy. Let's not stop doing that. Just as servants wait for their master, and just as a servant girl will wait for a signal from her mistress. Let's do that. Keep our eyes on the Lord. To pay attention to what he might want us to do. And to be mindful of what all he gives us as he keeps us. And look for those times when he approves. And those times when he might disapprove. We've got to keep our eyes upon the Lord. And then when the world and the flesh and the devil scream for our attention look at me look at me look at me i'm everywhere look how powerful i am this is the end ha 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 doomsday Just glance and go that's cute and look to your lord and say you're the one that's in control you're the one that has got everything the way you want it to be and prophecy will be fulfilled and every promise of god will be accomplished right yeah you got your choice which way you're going to look what's going to obsess what you're going to brood over I would rather you brood over the goodness and the grace of God okay will you pray with me okay. father in this negative hate filled divided society I pray that the Holy Spirit is reminding us that if we look at the things of this world, the enemy is going to magnify the bad, the evil. It's going to look chaotic. It's going to look out of control. We're going to be filled with fear. We're going to be terrorized. We're going to be angry. We're going to fight the wrong enemy. 
And we're going to be obsessed with things we ought not be obsessed with. But the old hymn is true. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Oh Lord, please, when we look at this world, let it grow dim. And let our faith be strong and our attitude be good because we're looking to you. And as our loving Heavenly Father, as the good shepherd of the sheep, you bless us, you take care of us, and we rest in you. And may our lives get your look and gaze of approval. And we pray this, Lord, as citizens of a wicked world, help us look to Jesus and run with endurance the race that is set before us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Yeah. Okay, let's uh, have... Uh